Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, or good evening. I'm on the West Coast. This is Judy Wilkinson, and I'm the president of Library Users of America. With me this afternoon is Brian Charlson, our immediate past president of Library Users of America. I want to give the opening CEU code for those of you who need that. It is 25072. Once again, 25072. When we were figuring out our program for uh, the convention, we often have a one something, one book, one ACB, and we sometimes struggle to identify something uh, for that component. But this year, we had no difficulty whatsoever deciding to uh, present this fabulous young woman, Amanda Gorman. We'll be discussing a few of the poems, but mostly we'll be listening to a fabulous presentation of seven items that Brian has put together. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you, Brian. Thank you very much. For me, poetry has been kind of a love-hate relationship. There are times in my life when poetry meant a lot to me and larger portions of my life where I was too busy to partake of that kind of thing. But I will tell you that when I heard Ms. Gorman give her speech at the inaugural this past election, I was blown away. You know, I enjoyed uh, Shakespeare, studying Shakespeare, which, of course, is poetic language in the form of a play. But anybody who studied Shakespeare knows that his plays were just giant poetry. I never was much into rap, and yet I felt some rap in the cadence of Amanda's poetry. I am very much a political animal, so I do watch the news and impassionate about the issues of the day, and she certainly struck that for me. But I think you'll agree with me that she doesn't just, if you will, write poetically, she thinks poetically. And I think that the initial poem here, the inaugural poem, is a good first step in that. I'm going to be playing these through Windows Media Player, and I've tried to make my jaws be non-responsive. So let's see whether or not this will work. First, the inaugural poem. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? The loss we carry a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace in the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president 
only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves so While once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild 
reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country. Our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm about ready to cry. Um, I know a number of you want to say something, and so we're going to forget all about just a technical discussion and ask you, any of you who would like to, to raise your hand. Our host is Kristen today, and she will let me know whose hand is raised, and we'll discuss this for a few minutes. Believe me, I have a lot of questions if there are no hands. Kristen, do we have any raised hands? Not yet? Well, I just want to point out, I'll point out a couple of things, and then we'll go to the hands. The rap, rap is based on rhyme and uh, permutations of words. Uh, So she begins this, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? And notice that she ends it by returning to that theme. The new dawn blooms as we free it, and there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Notice those repetitions and that cadence that ends this poem. Um, and this, this is the kind of repetition and sort of rap quality. I'm so thrilled that a new generation of young folks actually is coming to poetry, though they may call it something else. Isn't that the case? You know, one of the things that I think about this also is, you know, that President Biden had a speech impediment, that he worked hard to conquer. We heard about that from the young man that he mentored through uh, just taking enough time to participate in somebody else's effort. And it turns out that Amanda also had a significant speech impediment. But I challenge you in hearing her recite her own poetry to hear any stumble of any kind. It's not the kind of poetry that I remember when I was a kid where you pause at the end of every rhyming syllable. Here, rather, she spoke over those moments, and yet she still allowed us to enjoy that rhyming nature of things. Did I hear we do have a hand raised? Michael. Thank you. I just wanted to contribute that when I listened to her presentation at the inaugural I was listening for the politics of what she had to say, and I left the end of the poem thinking, well, it was a good political speech. I don't know that I heard much poetic structure, but I have to admit that listening to it again and listening for more than the politics, which I felt I already understood, really allowed me to look at that. And although I don't consider myself any great poetry, I did survive a graduate seminar in poetry and uh, have worked with some really good poets. That is an extremely technically well-structured poem. I missed that the first time, and I I thank you all for making me listen to it again to get that. 
Let me remind people this is available from NLS. And I'm hoping someone will uh, produce it in Braille. And I'm beginning to think maybe the next edition of our ledger uh, might want to include this, Sharon, uh, because it is available in the free domain. And uh, I think we might want to consider that. Okay, other, thank you so much, Michael Byington. Annie. Hi. Yeah, I, I was noticing, I really liked her, um, the musicality of the, her poem. I mean, that's a style often heard in spoken word, and you get similar rhythms, and I just, it almost sound, it was almost prayerful. I mean, I, I never would have thought to consider it a rap, but I mean, she's so articulate, and the rhythm that she uses, I, I love, she does have a rhythm about her, and um, it just makes it flow really nicely, and I liked I don't know the quote word for word, but um, how she said it's not because we're never going to be a perfect union, but we can strive for unity. Yes. Yes. And I love the line about something about something just is, but it isn't just, necessarily yes. justice. Uh, yes. yes. I like the play on that. words that she does when she's using a set of words that have a connection to them. Uh, sometimes the connection is by their meaning, but sometimes it's the sound of the word, and sometimes it's the cadence of the word that makes the series work for me and exactly. work for the narrative. Brian, I don't know how much time we can spend here, but if there's another hand or so, we we could take it. It's participation. Hello, this is Alice. I just wanted to add that in April, National Poetry Month, uh, this past April, National Braille Press had a poetry circle, thanks to Catherine Schneider, whom some of you may know. Um, the poem by our Youth Poet Laureate was made available to participants and about a couple of weeks or so after the poetry circle in April, uh, many of us did receive that poem in Braille from National Braille Press. And also, I just wanted to mention that uh, so much of the rhythm of that poem does remind me of some of the poetry of Maya Angelou. And I believe I read that uh, she, the uh, Youth Poet Laureate was indeed wearing a uh, piece of jewelry or something that was reminiscent of Maya Angelou that had been given to her by Oprah Winfrey. But the other point I would like to, to mention in this regard, and while she's brought so much attention, thankfully, to poetry with this poem, uh, let's not forget the poet laureate Joy Harjo. Uh, the NLS Bard has almost all of the books by Joy Harjo, and she's going into her third term as Poet Laureate, and, and that's quite uh, unusual, to say the least. But uh, thank you for having this program today. You're more than welcome. You know, you mentioned Maya Angelou, and, you know, when you're in ACB as long as I've been, and in a position where you get to or have to go to special events in the name of ACB... It was my pleasure to once meet Maya Angelou. And I'm telling you, uh, wow. that's, 
that that's one of life's big experiences. You know, when you're meeting with and having a conversation with somebody who is nine tenths spirit and only one tenth flesh. And she definitely was that way. And I imagine that if I ever get a chance to meet Amanda, I'll feel the same way. So are we ready for the next poem? I think we better go on. So let's enjoy the next thing you've got cued. Let's see if this works properly. now. I have two questions for you. One, whose shoulders do you stand on? And two, what do you stand for? These are two questions that I always begin in my poetry workshop with students because at times poetry can seem like this dead art form for like old white men who just seem like they were born to be old, like, you know, Benjamin Button or something. And I ask my students these two questions and then I share how I answer them, which is in these three sentences that go, I am the daughter of black writers who are descended from freedom fighters who broke their chains and changed the world. They call me. And these are words I repeat in a mantra before every single poetry performance. In fact, I was like doing it in the corner over there. I was like making faces. Um, And so I repeat them to myself as a way to gather myself, because I'm not sure if you know, but public speaking is pretty terrifying. Um, I know I'm on stage and I have my heels and I look all glam, but I'm horrified. Um, (laughs) And the way in which I kind of strengthen myself is by having this mantra. Most of my life, I was particularly terrified of speaking up because I had a speech impediment, which made it difficult to pronounce certain letters, sounds. And I felt like I was fine writing on the page. But once I got on stage, I was worried my words might jumble and stumble. What was the point in trying not to mumble these thoughts in my head if everything's already been said before? But finally, I had a moment of realization where I thought if I choose not to speak out of fear, then there's no one that my silence is standing for. And so I came to realize that I cannot stand standing to the side, standing silent. I must find the strength to speak up. And one of the ways I do that is through this mantra where I call back to what I call honorary ancestors. These are people who might not be related to you by blood or by birth, but who are more than worth saying their names because you stand on the shoulders all the same. And it's only from the height of these shoulders that we might have the sight to see the mighty power of poetry, the power of language made accessible, expressible. Poetry is interesting because not everyone is going to become a great poet, but anyone can be and anyone can enjoy poetry. And it's this openness, this accessibility of poetry that makes it the language people. Poetry has never been the language of barriers. It's always been the language of bridges. And it's this connection making that makes poetry, yes, powerful, but also makes it political. One of the things that irritates me to no end is when I get that phone call, and it's usually from a white man, and he's like, man, Amanda, we love your poetry. We'd love to get you to write a poem about this subject, but don't make it political. Which to me sounds like I have to draw a square, but not make it a rectangle or like build a car and not make it a vehicle. It doesn't make much sense because all art is political. The decision to create, the artistic choice to have a voice, the choice to be heard is the most political act of all. And by political, I mean poetry is political in at least three ways. One, what stories we tell 
when we're telling them, how we're telling them, if we're telling them, why we're telling them, says so much about the political beliefs we have about what types of stories matter. Secondly, who gets to have those stories told? I'm talking who is legally allowed to read, who has the resources to be able to write, who are we reading in our classrooms, says a lot about the political and educational systems that all these stories and storytellers exist in. Lastly, poetry is political because it's preoccupied with people. If you look in history, notice that tyrants often go after the poets and the creatives first. They burn books. They try to get rid of poetry and the language arts because they're terrified of them. Poets have this phenomenal potential to connect the beliefs of the private individual with the cause of change of the public, the population, the polity, the political movement. And when you leave here, I really want you to try to hear the ways in which poetry is actually at the center on our most political questions about what it means to be a democracy. Maybe later you're going to be at a protest and someone's going to have a poster that says they buried us, but they didn't know we were seeds. That's poetry. You might be in your U.S. history class and your teacher may play a video of Martin Luther King Jr. saying, we will be able to hew out of this mountain of despair, a stone of hope. That's poetry. Or maybe even here in New York City, you're going to go visit the Statue of Liberty where there's a sonnet that declares as Americans, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. So you see, when someone asks me to write a poem that's not political, what they're really asking me is to not ask charged and challenging questions in my poetic work. And that does not work because poetry is always at the pulse of the most dangerous and the most daring questions that a nation or a world might face. What past do we stand on as a people and what future as a people do we stand for? And the thing about poetry is that it's not really about having the right answers. It's about asking these right questions about what it means to be a writer doing right by your words and your actions. And my reaction is to pay honor to those shoulders of people who use their pens to roll over boulders so I might have a mountain of hope on which to stand so that I might understand the power of telling stories that matter no matter what. So that I might realize that if I choose not out of fear, but out of courage to speak, then there's something unique that my words can become. And all of a sudden, that fear that my words might jumble and stumble go away as I'm humbled by the thoughts of thousands of stories a long time coming that I know are strumming inside me as I celebrate those people in their time who stood up so this little black girl could rhyme, as I celebrate and call their names all the same, these people who seem like they were just born to be bold. Maya Angelou, Ntozaki Shange, Phyllis Wheatley, Lucille Clifton, Gwendolyn Brooks, Joan Wicks, Audre Lorde, and so many more. It might feel like every story has been told before, but the truth is no one's ever told my story in the way I would tell it as the daughter of Black writers who are descended from freedom fighters who broke their chains and changed the world. They call me. I call them. And one day I'll write a story right by writing it into tomorrow on this earth more than worth standing for. Oh, the girl talks poetry all the time, it looks like. Exactly. You know, there, there she was giving a lecture at a seminar of students studying poetry. And you couldn't tell where the lecture ended and the poetry began. 
it was just interleaved from the first syllable through the through the last statement. Clearly, though, this, we might think, I'm sorry, Brian, we might think, you know, these are off the cuff remarks. Oh, by no means. Carefully, <laughs> this, carefully crafted. This is carefully crafted so that the very first line standing on people's shoulders, uh, the parents who were writers and fighters, comes right back at the end. This was one long poem. Exactly. Exactly. Do we have any hands? Deborah. So I work for a college. I'm on our Equity Action Council, and I would love to play this poem at our meeting when I'm in charge of what we're supposed to do at the opening. Is there a way I can get a hold of that recording? Is that in the public domain? All of what I'm doing here was in the public domain. It's all been captured by going to YouTube. So uh, if you drop me an email, and I'll send you a link. Excellent. Our Equity Action Council appreciates you. <laughs> problem. No problem. It is pretty amazing that that whole story, rhyme, poem, it speaks to the value of poetry. It speaks to the importance of learning from others and acknowledging how much you are what you are because of those who came before you. We certainly know that in this organization, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to put in a plug, Deborah will be back as one of the hosts of the next segment that we're doing this afternoon about book clubs. But in the meantime, how about another hand? Annie. Wow. Okay. I have a couple things to say about this particular poem. At, at first, I wasn't, it was kind of hard for me in the beginning to tell exactly where the poem started uh, because she was talking about the, you know, the mantra that she uses. I, I wasn't sure. I know she had a really good introduction, but it was hard to tell where she started and the that all poetry is political i don't know that i necessarily agree that all poetry is political but i can see people asking you know basically i I would say that whether it's herself or or maya angelo when they were asked to read a poem that was not political it'd be basically asking them not to be individual themselves and that's who she and themselves exactly so i got what she was saying and that, that line of unintentional well whether it was intentional or not that powerful piece of alliteration poetry is political is because it is preoccupied with the people i really liked that and what i love the most about that this passage is just her humanness and confidence of about who she is and how just acknowledging that public speaking can make you nervous but just my goodness, she must. She's obviously really come a long way. If she did have a fear of public speaking before, I mean, because her confidence is just super inspiring. We hear a little bit of that uh, speech impediment, but you notice it didn't stop her. That's the important thing. Even okay, she mispronounced, for lack of a better description, the word poetry at least twice that I heard. But well, again, that made it no less articulate. Exactly. 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 Do we okay. have another hand? Deanna? For me, poetry is saying the hard things that otherwise get trapped in your head and circle round and around. Sometimes it's joyful, too. Sometimes it's angry. Sometimes it's sad. Um, it's just what you say in a few words to connect with others. It's a different medium than oh, fiction or essays or whatever. You're just trying to reach out and say, take my hand. This is what I'm feeling. Do you feel it too? 
I as think good a definition as any. I, I think it's a pretty darn good definition. I, <laughs> well, I have to say as a poet, that, that's what I do with, with do. some of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I really think that um, I've identified recently mostly with audio description. And it's an writing it is a bit of an art form because you're only allowed that little space between dialogue to try to explain something that's happening visually without overly interpreting what you are seeing when you make that description. There's a big difference, by the way, if you ever get a chance to compare and contrast audio description from from Great Britain and audio description from the U.S., that is one of the biggest differences. In, in the U.K., they tend to interpret what they see. Somebody is happy rather than somebody is smiling would be a, a, a big difference between the two. Now that I'm kind of getting jazzed about this whole poetry thing, I wondered if it might be an interesting experiment to have somebody write audio description in a poetic manner rather than trying to be all clinically exact. But fitting it in is definitely a poetic, an art. Oh, it absolutely is an art. Brian, do we think maybe we better move on? Yep, ready for the next one? About the next time. How many hands are still up before I interrupt? Two. Let's do one more poem and then we'll come back to you. Please don't put your hands down if you still have a general kind of thing you'd like to say. Okay, so let's give it a go for number three. Now, this one is on the top of the Empire State Building with John Baptiste playing the music. Steel spears through vapor, the tower tapered like a child's pencil. This a peak of progress and potential built when the Big Apple had to grapple with the Great Depression. But in that time of dire stakes, this Empire State still desired to scrape the sky. And when the cloud-high building glows, it shows in all its concrete and steel that a reeling country can still heal, can seek an ideal of opportunity and unbroken hope. All the possibilities that this pen of a tower wrote here. Here, into the screams of subway, here, where there's dreams of someday, here, the melting pot, where geniuses jive to jazz and hurry nonstop to hip-hop on chopped-up street blocks we bebop. We wild, we want, we stunt, we strive, we hustle, we hungry, we run free. Here we come, we one country, we ain't done, see. We've begun the task of building a tower together. Not stats with steel or stone, but hearts and home. We hone a nation that's a myriad like Manhattan. On each block, you'll find the black the Latin, the indigenous, the religious, lovers beyond labels, the disabled community, foreigners and sojourners on each corner of this land, in this cacophony of a country. We reach down long hands that we all might stand together where we belong. 
Our roar rings strong like King Kong. We mount a tower and pound our chest. Blessed with power, we do not rest. We do not weaken. We are the skyscraper. We are the beacon. Our spine steel spire straight in this time of higher, dire stakes. Let this fire wake as to the faith before our eyes. public doesn't require hate to rise globe grant us you're tired you're aching and tomorrow we'll be shaking the skies we cannot fail so we will not fall we are moved by the call of this colossus of a tall steeple it proves that when you only include the few you only injure all people but when we retire our gates we build up anew these entire united states into an empire to inspire the great <laughs> they must have a different elevator than I'm familiar with. <laughs> but it it was uh, amazing. Or John Baptiste is the guy that uh, is on, um, what do they call it these days? They don't call it the night show, the, a night show, something like that, with Stephen Colbert. Wow. And he's also a uh, um, Grammy Award winning. And uh, he, he played at this year's Boston Pops concert for here in the Boston area. So I identify with him quite a bit. But again, here we have poetry, not as lyrics to a song, but boy, it really added to me to have this music and words together in this fashion. Let's go straight to our hands. I go for that's it. a very I like that, Brian. Vicky Kim Charlson asked me to tell you I work with Kim. I'm in you know I'm uh, roommates with Kim and Brian, but uh, Kim asked me to tell you that NLS is doing the, her inaugurational poem, but she thinks it's going to be in a, a book that they're going to be brailing and putting on digital. So that, but if you want the inaugurational poem in braille, the Perkins Library will be happy to to braille it for you. If you just uh, send your name and address to kim.charlson at perkins.org, they'll send you the inaugural poem in Braille. Thank you so much, Vicki. And we'll put that in our next Blue Ledger. It'll actually take okay. a lot less space in putting the entire poem. Oh, Thank man. you, Vicki. You're welcome. Hi, this is Alice again. And in the second segment that Brian played, the alliterative phrase that stood out to me, or one of them anyway, was the born to be bold, and then her listing of the women who she felt were indeed born to be bold. And um, I did not have an opportunity to meet Maya Angelou directly, but I was at one of her later concerts in 2007, I believe it was, with my leader dog, and I went to the Marcus Center for the Performing Arts here in Milwaukee, it was an absolute sellout. The audience was absolutely electric, just so much feeling 
from the audience was palpable, and Maya Angelou absolutely thrilled that audience, and it was one of the most memorable stage performances I have ever witnessed. She had that audience absolutely in the palm of her hand, and what so impressed me was at her age that she was at that time, what an absolutely stunningly beautiful singing voice she had. And secondly, that she read, not or recited rather, not only her own poems, but the poems of other writers and just recited those so beautifully as well. And I thought it would be interesting to see how Amanda Gorman would recite the poetry of of other poets as well. I'm sure she's done that in some of her lectures, and maybe Brian has one of those for us still. In this most recent piece, so John Baptiste plays that grand piano so beautifully that I become, frankly, more focused on that beautiful piano music, and, and uh, I don't think it brings out the height of... Uh, Amanda Gorman's presentation as much as the one for the inaugural. Thank you. No, there's nothing like hearing something twice or three times. So I'm looking forward to getting these links and going back. But I can't help reminding our audience that remember, Maya Angelou presented the, the poem at the inauguration of President Obama. Exactly. And so... What a wonderful standing on the shoulders, huh? Yeah, exactly. I think we need to go on, Brian. Our time is getting yep. short. Here we go. A little bit more music with this one as well, and perhaps you'll you'll understand why it's near and dear to my heart. Four and three years ago, to be exact, the founders dared to declare the world's most revolutionary act, a pact sworn for liberty and equality out of many was born one people, a teeming nation made of nations at its very foundation, a dream for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Today, we gather so that our founders' words do not go diminished, but also so that the work does not go unfinished. For it's not just in a declaration of independence, but the everyday declaration of its descendants that make a people equal. It is our right and our role to remember these words scratched on a scroll so we may live them and heal our nation whole. We roll up our sleeves. We believe in the dream and these American stories in the glory of the struggle. For it is from our struggle that comes our nation's strength. For the lengths that we fight for what is right is the fullest measure of our country's might. And while we cannot shake or cast aside our past, every day we write the future. Together we sign it. Together we declare it. We share it. For this truth marches on inside each of us. Americans know one another by or love of liberty, when in fact, 
We are liberated by our love for one another. We understand that a house divided cannot stand. And so let us make a pact to be the country that acts as compassionate as we are courageous. In the Declaration's pages, we write a new order for the ages, where out of many, we are one, bright as a sun and bold as an eagle, a nation of all people, by all people, for all people. Let this 4th of July move forth and try to redeem the dream as we remember those words forever ignited that we, the people, have so long heard and decided that we are right to stand, but revolutionary when we stand united. So, what do you think? You know, um, it is awe-inspiring to me that after this year and the whole aftermath of Black Lives Matter, that this young woman can be so generously optimistic. Absolutely. And that was, as you might guess, me being from the Boston area, the Boston Pops. They commissioned the music and the poem. And, uh, you know, when we talk about politics, so often it's negative, you know, or against this or against that. But here, politics acknowledge the imperfection of the world we live in, but still, if you will, honored what we have achieved up to this point and what our goals are going forward. Uh, I can honestly say that I'm one of those households that puts a flag up in front of my home each morning uh, as close to sunrise as I wake up. And I do that out of pride of being a U.S. citizen, but also uh, to acknowledge that um, there are imperfections as part of our system. I'm not always proud of what my country has done or what my countrymen have done. But boy, to hear in poetry the embodiment of what I feel each and every day when I put that flag up really, really matters to me. So anybody have a hand up that wants to say anything? Linda. Hello, Brian and Kim. It's your buddy, Linda Porrell. Um, hey, how are things out on the West Coast? <laughs> they're great. And you ought um, to recognize the voice of your friend, Judy, not Kim. <laughs> oh, Kim. <laughs> I know you're right. Well, I, I was still thinking about what Vicky said earlier. I was thinking, yay, Kim. So, yay, Judy. This is a fabulous uh, presentation. Thank you, guys. But um, I guess what, carrying on what, what Brian was just talking about is that sense of this such controversy recently about teaching um, uh, elements of something called critical race theory uh, which is even a misnomer for what's being taught and that that there are people who are concerned that us looking at our past is un-American and I want to say that this person Amanda Gorman 
and so many other wonderful creative folks these days are incredibly American in what they're putting out. And um, I feel inspired by everything that I read by her and, and others like Nicole Hannah-Jones and other folks who um, really capture, they look back, but they also look ahead. And that's the important thing. So thanks for doing this presentation. You're more than welcome. Totally agree with you. Is there another hand? Michael? Thank you. I'll try to be brief since I did speak before, but I wanted to compliment Brian on presenting two interesting aspects of the whole art form of poetry to music or music to poetry. And to say that there are many different approaches by which the people who ruminate on such things figure out how that should be done. He had an example, first of all, with Batiste, and I don't know if he was just improvising or if that was a piece, but he was very clearly adapting the piece to the poetry and to the rhythm of the poetry, etc., and doing so very well. But in the second piece with the Boston Pups, where you're dealing with an entire orchestra, Amanda was doing a wonderful job of adapting the poetry to the piece of music. And there is a continuum when trying to marry poetry and music, where one, first of all, has to have an agreement between the musician or musicians and the poet as to where it fits on that continuum and how are we going to address that. And I think these were two really good examples of that. I would also say that one of my favorite legally blind poets is a gentleman named Dr. Herbert Guggenheim, who has performed his poetry numerous times at the FIA showcases over the years. And one year we had a pianist that we had hired to accompany some folks who was just incredible at uh, listening to a poem and figuring out how to improvise appropriately for that poem. And it really made one of the most incredibly unified performances that I think I have ever heard of poetry and music. That is something which Amanda does well, but it's something that is an interesting adaptation to poetry that I think is really just coming into its own. And thank you. Thank you, Michael. Michael. Brian, we have three more pieces. Here we go. I'm afraid we need to move on. Here goes the next one here. Again, if you already have your hand raised and you have some more general things to say, hang in there. We'll get to you. I promise. More music to accompany this one. On Christmas Eve, 1968, astronaut Bill Anders snapped a photo of the Earth as Apollo 8 orbited the moon. Those three guys were surprised to see from their eyes a planet looked like an Earth rise, a blue orb hovering over the moon's gray horizon with deep oceans and silver skies. It was our world's first glance at itself, a first chance to see a shared reality, a declared stance, and a commonality, a glimpse into our planet's mirror. And as threats drew nearer, our own urgency became clearer as we realized that we hold nothing dearer than this floating body we all call home. We've known that we're caught in the throes of climactic changes some say will just go away while some simply pray to survive another day. For it is the obscure, the oppressed, the poor who when the disaster is declared done still suffer more than anyone. 
Climate change is the single greatest challenge of our time. Of this, you're certainly aware. It's saddening, but I cannot spare you from knowing an inconvenient fact because it's getting the facts straight that gets us to act and not to wait. So I tell you this not to scare you, but to prepare you, to dare you to dream a different reality where despite disparities, we all care to protect this world, this riddled blue marvel, this little true marvel to master the verve and the nerve to see how we can serve our planets. You don't need to be a politician to make it your mission to conserve, to protect, to preserve that one and only home that is ours to use your unique power to give next generations the planet they deserve. We are demonstrating, creating, advocating. We heed this inconvenient truth because we need to be anything but lenient with the future of our youth. And while this is a training and sustaining the future of our planet, there is no rehearsal. The time is now, 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 because the reversal of harm and protection of a future so universal should be anything but controversial. So, Earth pale blue dots we will fail you not just as we chose to go to the moon we know it's never too soon to choose hope we choose to do more than cope with climate change we choose to end it we refuse to lose we do this and more not because it's very easy or nice but because it is necessary because with every dawn we carry the weights of the fates of this celestial body orbiting a star and as heavy as the weight sounded it doesn't hold us down but it keeps us grounded steady ready because an environmental movement of this size is simply another form of an earth rise to see it close your eyes visualize that all of us in this room and outside of these walls or in these halls, all of us change makers are in a spacecraft floating like a silver raft in space and we see the face of a planet anew. We relish the view, we witness its round green and brilliant blue, which inspires us to ask deeply, wholly, what can we do? Open your eyes, know the future of this wise planet is right in sight, right in all of us. Trust this earth uprising, all of us bring light to exciting solutions never tried before, for it is our hope that implores us at our uncompromising core to keep rising up for an earth more than worth fighting for. So... Is she political? Absolutely she is. Is it all a matter of racial tension? Not on your life. It's about the issues of the day, isn't it? Uh, And certainly global warming. My friends out on the West Coast who have spent most of this summer gasping in the heat. Uh, As we speak right now, here where I live, um, we've had the wettest July in history here in Massachusetts. So uh, I'm pleased that she took the time to write a poem about one of my favorite pictures of all time, the Earthrise picture. So what do others think? We have time for one question because I think we really want to hear the last two pieces. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate that. That was the only one. Okay, so we move on to the next poem then. Right, let's go. Here we go. You will be told that this is not a problem, not 
your problem. We'll be told that now is not the time for change to begin, told that we cannot win. But the point of protest isn't winning, it's holding fast to the promise of freedom, even when fast victory is not promised, meaning we cannot stand up to police if we cannot cease policing our own imagination, convincing our communities that this won't work before the work has even begun, that this can wait when we've already waited out a thousand suns. By now, we understand white supremacy and the despair it demands are as destructive as any disease. So when you're told that your rage is reactionary, remember that rage is our right. It teaches us it is time to fight in the face of injustice. Not only is anger natural, but necessary because it helps carry us to our destination. Our goal has never been revenge, just restoration, not Dominance, just dignity, not fear, just freedom, just justice. Whether we prevail is determined not by all the challenges that are present, but by all the change that is possible. And though we be unstoppable, if we ever feel like we might fail, if we be fatigued and frail when our fire can no longer be fueled by fury, we will be fortified by this faith found in the vow the anthem, all Black lives matter no matter what. Black lives are worth living, worth defending, worth every struggle. We must stand up for all of us in our aims, united through protest and pain, amplifying women, the LGBTQ community, and people with disabilities, because none of us are free until all of us break our chains. We owe it to the fallen to fight, but we owe it to ourselves to never stay kneeling when the day calls us to stand. Together, we envision a land that is liberated, not lawless. We create a future that is free, not flawless over and over again and again we will stride up every mountainside magnanimous and modest we will be protected and served by a force that is honored and honest this is more than protest it's a promise they just get better and better don't they don't they now you notice that she's mentioned disability in at least three of these pieces she sees people with disabilities as having commonality with other minorities, whether it be racial or sexual orientation, whatever. She gets us as a community, a community with with commonality. You can tell why the audio of that piece, that it was done during pandemic, during isolation, not in a fancy studio, but, you know, hovering over a microphone. And, uh, I think it added to it in its own way, especially when I contrasted it with all that musical support of the more grandly produced pieces. What's our time check? It's just a little after two. Shall we play the last one and then go on with questions as long as we can? I think that's a good idea. So here we go with the next piece. My poem is called In This Place, An American Lyric. There's a poem in this place, in the footfalls, in the halls, in the quiet beats of the seats. It is here at the curtain of day where America writes a lyric you must whisper to say. 
There's a poem in this place, in the heavy grace, the lined face of this noble building, collections burned and reborn twice. There's a poem in Boston's Copley Square, where protest chants tear through the air like sheets of rain, where love of the many swallowed hatred of the few. There's a poem in Charlottesville, where tiki torches string a ring of flame tight round the wrist of night, where men so white they gleam blue seem like statues, where men heap that long wax burning ever higher, where heather higher blooms forever in a meadow of resistance. There's a poem in the great sleeping giant of Lake Michigan, defiantly raising its big blue head to Milwaukee and Chicago. A poem begun long ago, blazed into frozen soil, shredding upward and aglow. There's a poem in Florida, in East Texas, where streets swell into a nexus of rivers, cows afloat like mottled boys in the brown, where courage is now so common that 23-year-old Jesus Contreras rescues people from floodwaters. There's a poem in Los Angeles, yawning wide as the Pacific tide, where a single mother swelters in a windowless classroom, teaching black and brown students in Watts to spell out their thoughts so her daughter might write this poem for you. There's a lyric in California where thousands of students march for blocks, undocumented and unafraid, where my friend Rosa finds the power to bloom in deadlock her spirit, the bedrock of her community. She knows hope is like a stubborn ship gripping a dock, a truth that you can't stop a dreamer or knock down a dream. How could this not be her nation, su nation, our country, our America, our American lyric to write to, a poem by the people, the poor, the Protestant, the Muslim, the Jew, the native, the immigrants, the black, the brown, the blind, the brave, the undocumented and undeterred, the woman, the man, the non-binary, the white, the trans, the ally, to all of the above and more. Tyrants fear the poet. Now that we know it, we can't blow it. We owe it to show it, not slow it. Although it hurts to sow it when the world skirts below it. Hope, we must bestow it like a wick in the poet so it can grow lit, bringing with it stories to rewrite. The story of a Texas city depleted but not defeated, a history written that need not be repeated, a nation composed but not completed. There's a poem in this place, a poem in America, a poet in every American who rewrites this nation, who tells a story worthy of being told on this minnow of an earth to breathe hope into a palimpsest of time, a poet and every American who sees that our poem penned doesn't mean our poems end. There's a place 
where this poem dwells, it is here, it is now, in the yellow song of dawn's bell, where we write an American lyric we are just beginning to tell. We can't blow it, we have to show it, we know it, poet. Let's see who has something to say. We have a few minutes. Deborah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I just, <laughs> I, I just have to say that, um, you know, I love, I love her politics and her sensibility, but most of all, I just love the music of her language. She needs no music. There is so much music in her words and all of the, the brilliance of all the internal rhymes. It's just, it's just amazing. So, um, I have looked forward to this session so much and I was out and as life would have it racing could, had no control over the car I was in. And um, so I came in just as Brian and I, I mean, I was literally in my front door and pulling out my phone and tapping on the link <laughs> so as not to miss another minute. And um, what I've heard has just been wonderful. And I came in Brian, when you were, talking about the flag. And so my question is, is this going to be a podcast that I can hear what I miss later? Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful. So yes, yes. Every, so far as I know, every session will be eventually a podcast. Yeah. It's my understanding that there will be priority in terms of which ones go up first, because there has to be engineering involved, but that all sessions are expected to live as podcasts. Absolutely. Other hands? Cheryl. Cheryl, welcome. Hi, this is uh, Cheryl. I am so blown away by this experience. Um, I think, I mean, just having a chance to pay close attention to everything Amanda is telling us has been really, uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed and I'm encouraged um, I think in all of her poems, whatever the focus has been, there's been an aspect where she's telling us that there's hope and that we as individuals have a way to like make the hope a reality. That it's, you know, that, that we're not sort of stuck in the past, that we're not so tied down by sort of obstacles today that we can't act. Um, and so thank you so much for this. I, I wasn't sure what I was going to get, but I'm so glad I came because uh, I know this is overused, but this has truly been, and her words are truly inspiring. So thank you very much. Thank you for coming. I appreciate that. Maybe one last question, if we can make it fairly quick. We do not have any other hands. Okay. Great. Well, right well, now, right now, I have to say, um, Amanda has given us a gift, but Brian, we can't thank you enough for the work you have put in to put this magical, amazing presentation together for us. Well, I, I have to say that, uh, again, Amanda just rocked my world. And the more I went online and looked for other works by her, I just kept happening over and over and over again. 
uh, I'm so glad that I simply had to stop for a matter of time. Otherwise, I'd still be doing <laughs> surfing on YouTube for yet more things. And I expect that uh, this is not going to be a passing relationship between me and this young lady. It's going to be uh, for the rest of our days. Thank you all for coming. I hope that uh, you can see the value of an organization like Lua, Library Users of America, and what we bring to our organization of ACB. A love for the written word, uh, a belief in the value of, of uh, communicating uh, one with another and binding to us together as a community in a way where, like I said, it's one poet, one ACB. And this was the year for Amanda Gorman. Judy, this is Paul. Great yes. job. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. We need the closing numbers. Yes, I'm going to give the closing numbers right now. 23977. That's 23977. But don't go away, people. Stay tuned for our wonderful discussion, and Paul will be involved about book clubs. Thank you, everyone, for coming.